Hey guys, welcome to Big Church Online. We are so excited that you've joined us today. If you're looking for any sermons or words of encouragement, you've come to the right place. While you're here, please subscribe, like, comment, share. That way you can stay up to date and help others find it as well. Now, let's get this week's sermon in progress. All right, 2 Samuel chapter 9. I'm going to be reading out of the New King James Version because it's the best one out. Verse 1 says this. Now David said, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now that verse without context probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? So we're going to run it back to 1 Samuel, and there is King Saul who has a son whose name is Jonathan. And Jonathan has a really good friend whose name is David. Now David has been anointed to be the next king of Israel, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to Jonathan because how it should work is Jonathan would be the next king, right? But he knows that David has been anointed to be the next king, and what he also knows is the custom of the time. And the custom was that when a new king would take over, he would kill the entire house of the old king so that no one would have a claim to the throne. So Jonathan knows this, and he gets this idea. He, he calls David. He says, hey, can we get some coffee? I got to talk to you. And they go to their local Starbucks, and they, they get their coffee, and they start chit-chatting. And then uh, Jonathan slips in this request. He's like, hey, buddy, uh, would you be nice to me for like the rest of your life? And, and, and not only to me, but, but to my children and my children's children, as long as you are alive. And David, of course, says yes. Now for a second, I don't think that David would have killed Jonathan, but Jonathan just wanted to cover his tracks. So we fast forward a little bit and Saul and Jonathan, they go off to war and they get killed. Everyone say, aw, so sad. Now, David does not become king immediately. I probably should know this a little bit better that I'm speaking to you all, but I, I think it's like one or two kings that, that try to fill in the place. But where we pick up in verse one is when David has become king and he remembers the promise that he made to Jonathan. So verse one, it, it says, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul? Verse two, and there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when the king had called him to David, the king says to him, pay attention to this, because he says, are you Ziba? And Ziba says, at your service, sir, right? Because what does he think King David is getting ready to do? He go kill him. So he says, at your service. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba says to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So what has Ziba just found out? That David wants to show kindness to someone of the house of Saul. Who technically qualifies for this? Ziba. Notice that when Ziba says there is still a son, he does not give his name, but he gives his issue. He is trying to increase his own value while decreasing the son of Jonathan's value. And I don't know who I'm talking to this morning if you have ever been described by your issue. Yo, that boy ugly. Yo, she's crazy. 
oh, that person's an addict, they're a liar, they're a cheater, that's how they'll always be. I don't know who I'm talking to if you have ever been described by your issue. And Ziba says to the king, there is still a son, and I love what David says because he is not concerned with how Ziba is describing him. He simply asks the question in verse four, where is he? And Ziba says to the king, indeed, he is in the house of Makur, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. And as a reader, when you read that, you're like, okay, that, that's where he's at. And kind of just to recap what Ziba has said is, I don't know if you wanna bless this son of Jonathan because that boy is ugly and he's from that part of the city. Notice I didn't say what part of the city, but something popped into your mind. Let's just go with it. You're not gonna get me in trouble this morning. <laughs> and so I wanna talk to you about Lodabar for a second. I believe we have an image of what Lodabar looks like. I mean, vacation destination, grab the kids, let's go, right? And when you look into what Lodabar means, it means a barren wasteland. Another definition for Lodabar actually means no communication. Because sometimes when you have an issue, you don't know how to talk about it. Sometimes when you have an issue, you don't know who to talk to about it. And sometimes when you have an issue, you don't know where to talk about it. So he says that he is in Lodabar. And I love that David is not concerned with how he's described him or the place that he's in. But verse five simply says this, then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Makur, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Verse six, now when, all right, I'm gonna need about five of you to be praying for me throughout the rest of our time because I'm gonna have to say this brother's name a lot, okay? Verse six, now when, Meshibbeth, are y'all praying? Come on, I need y'all, I need y'all. Now when, Mephibosheth, say that five times fast. Yeah. <laughs> the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David. He fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, remember when I said pay attention? He simply just says, Mephibosheth? Notice that when he meets Ziba, he asks the question, are you Ziba? Meaning he had never met him before. But when he sees Mephibosheth, he simply just says, Mephibosheth? I would imagine that David and Jonathan being friends, that David would have seen baby Mephibosheth playing with his toys and, and doing anything a young kid does. And he probably had this idea of who Mephibosheth would turn out to be, right? He's the son of a prince. He, he's gonna be a great leader one day. He's gonna be a successful businessman one day. He's gonna be great at whatever he chooses to do. But when the expectation of what he thought Mephibosheth would look like meets the reality that is right before him, the two are not adding up. And Mephibosheth is, is freaking out. And he says, here is your servant. Why is he freaking out? Because he thinks King David is gonna kill him. So David says to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. 
and will restore to you the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. That sounds really cool, doesn't it? But look at verse eight. Then he bowed himself and said, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And you know, I read that and I'm like, bro, why are you so hard on yourself? Like, just relax a little bit. It's not that serious. A dead dog? You couldn't even be a dead person. But what I've learned is that that was a common phrase of the time. Because a dead dog is not going to wag its tail. A dead dog is not going to get water. A dead dog is not going to bark at you. And essentially what Mephibosheth is saying, why would you bless me with land that I can't take care of? Animals that I can't feed, a house that I can't keep clean. Come on, somebody. I live by myself and I'm like, who's putting these dirty dishes in here? <laughs> and as a communicator this morning, I want to do the best that I possibly can to give you what it would look like to look at Mephibosheth. And with that being said, I'm gonna ask for my favorite pair of shoes. Thank you so much, thank you so much. I know you're jealous, you can't get these anywhere else. And we're at church, so I have a cross on the front, but I'm a sneakerhead at heart, so 23 is on the back respectfully, okay? And there's really no graceful way to do this, so just bear with me for one second. I promise I have socks on. Y'all should be excited, it didn't fall. Okay. So these are goofy shoes, right? But the thing is, when you would look at Mephibosheth, you would always look at his issue. When you would think of Mephibosheth, you would always think of his issue. When you would talk about Mephibosheth, you would always talk about his issue. What has happened? His issue has now become his identity. And so he's saying, why would you bless me with all of this stuff knowing that I can't take care of that? Do you not see me? And I love King David because King David just always has a plan. And verse nine says this, and the king calls to Ziba, Saul's servant. And this is how I read the Bible. Don't, don't for a second think this is scriptural, but I just see Ziba walking down the hall. I told him that boy ugly, like he ain't gonna bless this man. And then he turns and sees both of them standing right there. He's like, oh. So the king says to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him. And you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Let's think about this for a second. Mephibosheth just went from, hey, you got a dollar, to being Elon Musk. Hey, you got a dollar to being Jeff Bezos. And what's crazy, he doesn't even have to work for it. And Ziba says to the king, as long as you don't kill me, I'll do whatever you want. That's not what he says. I told you I was going to make some stuff up. 
Then Ziba says to the king, according to all that my Lord the king has commanded, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem. And I'm gonna stop right there. I wanna kind of dive into the social complex of who Mephibosheth was. Because here he is getting invited to eat with the king, and he's kind of freaking out about it. Because who would eat with the king? Probably important people of the time, other royalty, celebrities, generals, who, whoever you wanna throw in the mix, important people. And Mephibosheth is thinking, I gotta eat with those people? They're just gonna make fun of me. They're just gonna talk about me. They're gonna be super nice to my face, but they're gonna talk about me behind my back. They're always gonna talk about my issue. He is freaking out and he is making these assumptions based on the table that he eats at, which looks a lot like this. But the thing about a king's table is that it was the custom of the time to be decorated with a tablecloth. Super dramatic, right? Give me a second, just give me a second. Should have planned this better. Hey, we gonna, we're gonna get there, I promise you. So a king's table was decorated with the tablecloth. And the thing is, when Mephibosheth would sit at this table, his issue was covered, right? So he has been given a brand new identity, an identity that he can use in confidence to build relationships with people, to have new friendships, in this place, he can ask David questions, and him and David get to do life together. David gets to pour into Mephibosheth's life. And church, if you haven't realized this yet, the way that David interacts with Mephibosheth is the same way that God wants to interact with you and I. Because I'm not really talking about a table, but what I'm talking about is a relationship. That's what the table represents as a relationship. And in this place, Mephibosheth gets to have a relationship with David. They get to do life together. And people will now see Mephibosheth for how David sees Mephibosheth. And as I was praying, God, what, I mean, what do I say? What do I speak? They, they asked me to speak a while ago, and I'm just like, I don't know what to say. Like, I have no idea. And he showed me, just talk about the relationship. Because as a communicator of the gospel, if I get an opportunity to speak to you and I don't talk about having a relationship with Jesus, all of this would be pointless. You didn't come here to, to look good. You didn't come here because you were bored. You didn't come here because you had nothing better to do. You probably came because you were interested about Jesus. And I think that as a communicator of the gospel, I'm guilty of this. 
We, we say if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that you will be saved and that you'll have a relationship with Jesus, and you'll come to church. Trey, I'm, I'm going to church. I'm going to the Bible studies. Trey, I'm, I'm going to crew. I'm serving. But Trey, I got to be honest. I'm still struggling with the same thoughts. I'm still struggling with the same temptations. I'm still struggling. And I think it's really easy that you can confuse a relationship with the church for a relationship with Jesus. And it's in the relationship with Jesus that you get to just be real. You just get to be raw. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. You are meant to have a relationship with the church. The church is the bride of Christ. You are meant to serve. You are meant to come. You are meant to fellowship with one another. But be careful that you don't confuse the two. And you're probably thinking, well, what does a relationship look like? And I want to do my best to model that for you. I remember I had a, uh, a really cool opportunity to do an internship under this man, Pastor Winston Watson. Rest in peace, he's no longer on this side of heaven. But I remember there was something different in the way that he would talk about Jesus. And I grew up in church. But there was something that he stood, that stood out in him. And I said, I wanted that. And what he had, Miss Terry Wingfield, where are you at? Where are you at? I see you. I don't mean to call you Miss Terry. I know you're cool. I just got to be respectful, you know? But you said something in prayer a few months back, and I did not forget it. Because what this man had was intimacy with Jesus. And she talked about intimacy, and she broke it down like this. In to me. See. You need intimacy in your relationship with Jesus because that's when you just pour yourself out. And in turn, you should let him pour himself back into you. So I remember I was, I was in this room and I was like, I, I don't know what to do because there's really no right way to do it and there's no wrong way to do it. You simply just do it. And so I'm in my room and I, I begin to just put on some music and I begin to worship God. And I say, oh, Heavenly Father, you're worthy to be praised. Hallelujah to your name. God, you are worthy to be glorified. You are worthy to be magnified. You are worthy to be praised. And then I just begin to call him the names that I knew. Oh, you're the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You're the author and the finisher of my faith. You are the, the Prince of Peace and you are the Lily of the Valley. And I'm just going and I'm just going and then I begin to say uh, uh, what he means to me and I, I just say God you're amazing God you're awesome God you're so brave God you're so bold God you're so courageous and after you pour yourself out you should allow time for him to pour himself back into you so I begin to get quiet and I try my best to silence my mind and nothing happened talk about a big buildup how do you think I felt But I said, I'm here. I, I literally had given up my life, and I said, I'm going to go after this. So I did it the next night. And I did it the next night. Jesus, you're worthy. Jesus, you're worthy. Hallelujah to your name. Praise you. Jesus, you're worthy. And nothing happened. And I tried to switch up the times, right? Maybe he's asleep. Like, he's a big guy. He's got big responsibilities. I, I don't know. And so I, I did it again the next night. And I remember one night. 
There was nothing special about what I had on. I had a tank top and basketball shorts. I probably smelled funny because I was working all day. And I'm on my knees, my face is to the ground. Jesus, you're worthy. Praise you, Heavenly Father, hallelujah to your name. And I'm just going and I'm just going. You're the King of Kings, you're the Lord of Lords, hallelujah to your name. And then I begin to be quiet. And I get these thoughts in my mind, thoughts of doubt. Trey, do you know who you are? Do you know what you've done? Do you really think God wants to talk to you? See, I've never struggled with the idea that God was real. I've had a pretty solid foundation. Maybe when I was a teenager, I flip-flopped a little bit. But for the most part, I was like, yeah, he's real. I believe that. But what I've struggled with is that he would want to do anything with me, to talk with me, to do life with me. And I get these thoughts of doubt into my mind. And I'm on my knees, my face is to the ground. And I say, I'm gonna stay here. And then like 10 seconds later, I'm like, I'm gonna get up. <laughs> right, we, we try to be too spiritual sometimes. Let's just be a little practical. But I remember, I, I can't make this up. I'm getting ready to get up. And I feel this presence just enter into the room. This was, it, it, it was so powerful, but yet it was so gentle. It was very intense, but yet it was so sweet. And I don't know how else to describe it other than it just felt like my skin was glowing. And I just got chills because I heard one word and it was stay. Meaning he had been there the whole time. You don't say stay to someone that just showed up. And in that moment, I realized that I had nothing to offer him. There was no amount of money that I could offer, that there was no gift, no talent, that there was no work that I could do for him. And in that moment, I realized he did not care about my past. He didn't care about the mistakes that I've made. He didn't care about the choices that I made. Please don't look at me on this stage and say, oh, you think you're perfect. No. But he simply just wanted to spend time with me. And maybe there's someone in this room right now that you really have a hard time that God wants to spend time with you. And I want to encourage you that God is madly in love with you, that when he thinks about you, he gets excited whether you think it or not. And so I just sat there for a little bit longer. I literally got the best sleep of my life. There, there was nothing more. It wasn't like he, he showed me my future or anything like that. He simply just said, stay. So please don't confuse a relationship with the church for a relationship with Jesus because it's in this place that when life gives you hell and high water, you can stay firm. It's in this place that will elevate you in other areas of your life. Trey, how do you do that? I don't know. Trey, how are you talking to people right now and you, you seem like you're okay with it? I have no idea. I hated presenting in high school, like with a passion. But I don't know. I, I, it just happens. And I wanna go back to this story really quick because this story, it's like, 
you're building an ice cream sundae with your favorite ice cream and you're putting your favorite toppings on and the bananas and the whipped cream and the chocolate syrup and the sprinkles. And whether you like it or not, you're taking a cherry and you're getting ready to put it on the top and then you just throw it away. Because this entire story, Mephibosheth is getting blessed until this last part. Verse 13, so Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem for he ate continually at the king's table and he was lame in both of his feet. God, why would you bless him so tremendously and not heal him, right? You, you, you just changed his life for the rest of his life, but you would not heal him. And I think it's because God wanted Mephibosheth to know that this newfound identity, this newfound confidence, this newfound boldness is only found at the table. Amen, church. If I could, I'd like to ask you all to stand. And I believe there are two groups of people in here today. The first group being you've never really heard someone talk about a relationship like this. And your heart could be pounding. Please don't ignore that. We're gonna have people on our left and on our right that are willing to pray for you. The second group of people is maybe you had a relationship with Jesus. You were at the table and for whatever reason, you got up and you walked away and you feel that your invitation is no longer there, that the seat is gone. And that's a lie. Your seat is always here. I would love to invite you back. And as we go into this song, if you just want a moment up here at the front, it's gonna be available for you. If I could, I'd love to pray for you really quick. Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you for each and every person that came this morning. God, I just pray that you would meet them right where they're at. Lord, I pray that we would have a hunger and that we would have a desire to know you at a deeper level. God, I pray that we would desire to be more like you, to walk like you and to talk like you and to sound like you, God. And God, I pray for the strength to stay in that place. And with that, I give you all of the praise. I give you all of the glory. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you're looking for more information or resources, you can visit mybigchurch.com or follow us on social media at mybigchurch. We love you guys. See you soon.